This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, East Sanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hszc.org. It's always wonderful, kind of great, to visit Hartford Street. Um, when I uh, look around, thank you, the room, and I look around the building, I'm reminded of all of the many people who have made it happen, you know, who created it and who sustained it, inspired it. Uh, and uh, I, I, being an older person, I think I tend to notice what has already happened, the history. Appreciate appreciating that part, but I also notice the future is it, uh, uh, visible. I see two stacks of very beautiful cards that, that are, I guess, recently produced to let people know that this is ha- a happening place. And all those little adjustments, I think, are um, what make up uh, the possibilities that we create together. And so, uh, great, congratulations. Um, The uh, topic that I've been thinking about lately, uh, I, I would call um, stream entry, which is an old Buddhist expression for entering the path of practice. And uh, it's something that is, um, you know, particularly interesting to me. You know, I have a small uh, zendo in, in over near, near a Zen Center on Oak Street. It's always a really big deal to have people come and sit and sometimes stay for the sittings or the classes. And so what is the magic uh, ingredients that allow people to seriously consider practice, sort of take it on, um, make it their own? And uh, the uh, well, let's see, when I first started at Zen Center in the early 70s, the idea of stream entry didn't seem very interesting. It didn't seem like such a big deal. I was much more interested in something more heroic, something, you know, enlightenment or some kind of recognition. And So what stream entry is, I think, remains an open question because in some ways it's different for everyone. Everyone has their own particular history. And uh, so we're trying to figure out what our history and our effort and our intention has to do with practice. And that seems to unfold over time. It's not not automatic and uh, I think it's very typical for many people to come into practice and, 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 and engage it like a project, just like anything else. So, you know, you get the idea, you get hold of the doctrine, and you get a feel for the structure, the practice place, 
the people that you're becoming acquainted with. And if you're kind of typical American, you might identify your objectives, your goals. And what's, what's interesting to me, I think there was some version of that that was my formula, for lack of a better word. And what I noticed over a number of years is that people didn't seem to respond to that approach, which is to say I wasn't getting much coming back. So one of the things that ha has occurred to me now I don't know how recently, but at any rate, stream entry doesn't look like an intention to me. It actually is more like a discovery. So how we understand practice has a very big effect on how it looks. And how it looks changes over time. And it changes because the ideas that we have are tested and found to be incomplete. And it changes because we see how our attitudes create barriers with ourselves and others. So each of us come in with a host of priorities and conditions which become avenues of access or contradiction as we encounter the real demands of practice. We like this, we don't like that. We are avoiding structure or we're passionate about certain kinds of expression. So one aspect of stream entry you might or I might uh, describe as the time and energy you spend trying to figure out whether you're inside or outside the gate. Are we practicing well enough or practicing hard enough? Do we have the energy and commitment? What is the right relationship to, to practice? What is practice? So one of the big, I think one of the big challenges, one of the big mysteries, uh, which we wrestle with, everyone wrestles with, is how we define ourselves within and without the Sangha. Does our way look like a path or a treadmill? And specifically, who do we find who do we notice, uh, who we can relate to or find encouraging. And so it just takes time to sort these things out. So the question is, what about practice is truly us, is our own expression? And perhaps more importantly, what can we sustain by way of offering or energy? 
I always had a great deal of respect for those people who seemed to be able to use the situation that they found themselves in well. They were able to find something in practice and make it their own. It didn't necessarily mean they had to change their approach, but somehow or other they're able to engage the situation, give, at least by in my view, things their proper weight. Uh, Isan was particularly gifted in this respect, but they were not always people who were well noticed. And so it took me a long time to get a feel for what it was for me. And I was really greatly uh, assisted by many, many people, all the living experiments around me, uh, people trying to sort it out for themselves and with each other. And because sitting is really the most fundamental exercise that we engage in on a regular basis, it also turns out that sitting is something that you have to discover and develop on your own. So it's a rigorous business and you have to stay through it, through the challenges, until you can appreciate a pretty wide range and develop a sense that sitting can be a refuge. In some sense, whether you like it or not. And so as you develop some perspectives on sitting, you also develop some perspectives on your own way. We often, uh, coming into situations, lead with our strength and evaluate other people on our own terms. And after a while, you notice that that in itself is rather limiting. So at some point you might, or I, I arrived at the notion that stream entry is just a willingness to live and work with other people, which is not an easy transition. Most people, most of us would rather stay within the known uh, in their own lives, our own preferences and patterns, our own problems and our own territory. So I'm not necessarily talking about changing costumes or cultures, although for many of us, these exercises can be stepping stones out of our personal entanglements. So when we step into the current of practice, uh, it can and often will be demanding and uncomfortable. You know, sitting for days, uh, you become aware of a lot of confusion and contradictions which are just not available otherwise. So it's been said that a good education opens you up to how much you don't know. 
And yet I believe that there is a kind of confidence that comes of this exercise and these kinds of realizations. But we still don't know the width or the depth of the stream we are in. And it's, I'm sure, for all of us tempting and normal to try to figure out where we stand and perhaps how to navigate. So in the beginning, the focus is much more on ourselves, our plans and our journey and uh, aspirations and problems. But when the current becomes interesting, uh, you may begin to notice the strength and the quality of the current between you and others. How much space is there? How much noise and uncertainty? And you might begin to notice something like a rhythm, the pace of your day, the speed of your movements, and your sense of balance or lack of it. So at some point you might, and I certainly began to look with new interest on all the things that I began with, all the fundamentals, it's all laid out from the very beginning. We're told exactly what's going on. But it doesn't really register in many ways, it seems. I've been reading a good number of sutras lately uh, with other people. And um, uh, we often find ourselves repeating, oh, did we finish this chapter? Or, well, let's begin again. And beginning again uh, on something that we might have covered just the week before, there's lots I didn't notice. So I think at some point the precepts and the path begin to seem more personal, more specific, more relevant. And I do think sitting opens you up to your own tendencies and self-limiting behavior. And it's quite normal to discover many things that challenge and things to resist in the course of practice. All these rocks and eddies are your own creation. And they stick around until you're ready to let them go. And in some ways, it is actually difficult to practice seriously. But uh, weirdly enough, I think it's even more difficult if we don't. So the shift be between or shift from fixating on our own practice to appreciating and supporting the practice of others seems to take time. And I well remember the energy and attitudes I came in with and how it did not and could not include the offerings and limitations of others. 
So even though stream entry implies movement, Buddhist practice is not about moving forward. There is no particular sense of progress. You just see that as you go along, you have been mistaken. I have an opportunity these days to spend a little bit of time at San Quentin and sitting with them. They're a wonderful group. It completely, um, <coughs> it's quite a revelation how without really knowing anything about something, you have actually quite a few um, preconceptions about what it is or what these people are. These are mostly violent offenders, and you would not you would not imagine that you would not guess that meeting most of them. Their level of I would describe as directness and humility is quite impressive. Admittedly, a very select population. There may be two or three dozen people that show up for this Sunday afternoon and evening class, and they are very motivated to to practice, to study, to inquire. And uh, so I always have, find a lot to appreciate um, about their practice. This group has been going on for 20 years. It's a man by the name of Lee DeBarros, who's actually in his final days. Uh, who I think founded the, the, the group. But it was, although there are maybe you know a half a dozen to a dozen people that may show up from outside on any given on a, any given Sunday, in fact, the group is sustained by the membership, the prison membership. And in some ways, I, I experienced the, uh, the folks at San Quentin somewhat similar to people in Sashin. Obviously, they live a life of containment. They're outside the circle of their preferences and their family. They have a society of their own. They know each other very well. And they have an understanding and appreciation of time that none of us can imagine. For them, time might be endless. And so they're very well, they're very well aware that it is limited. Another way of thinking about stream entry is we have been in it all along, but it just takes practice to wake us up to the need for attention and diligence.
So in closing, I'd like to read a poem, a real favorite of mine. Her name is Kay Ryan. She is a poet laureate of the U.S., lives in Marin. Wonderful, wonderful poet. And this particular creation is called the Niagara River. As though the river were a floor, we position our table and chairs upon it, eat and have conversation. As it moves along, we notice as calmly as though dining room paintings were being replaced, the changing scenes along the shore. We do know we do know that this is the Niagara River, but it is hard to remember what that means. So that's my story. I'd be happy to talk about anything that comes to mind or whatever you like. during the course of your long practice that there have been times when you know because you also engage in social justice things and other stuff that there have been times when your mind questioned whether dressing up in ancient Japanese clothing and, and uh, coming into a secluded place was as relevant as the social justice work and other things that you were doing and, and if that's a natural cycle or how you how you balance that or how you bring yourself back when, when you're having those moments. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's anyone, any ordained person uh, that that issue has not given very serious consideration. And everyone has their own unique relationship to it. Uh, for me to be in full dress has gone, I have gone through cycles of that at Zen Center. Zen Center's commitment is to maintaining the tradition and giving people an opportunity to be saturated in it. Just, who knows, good or bad, for you or not for you, just try it out, put it on, see what happens. And that's not a, even a suggestion, that's something that occurs to you or not. On a more mundane level, there are many people for whom sewing a Roxu seems like, I. I don't know if it's really something for me or whether it's necessary or whether it's important or on and on. So I, in, from my perspective, I see that as a bit of a barrier. In other words, your ideas about one thing are what they are. And then if you go and investigate it, then you discover other things. It's clear that the doing has value and I think uh, the assumption of the robes and the ceremonial side is very similar. It has value. It's not apparent what that value might be. And it is unique to each person. Some people, when they put on a robe, look like they belong in it. And others look like they're in a costume. 
It's very, you know, like, what is that? I don't know what that is. And I'm not sure that those who look like naturals are the guys that are on the beam and those who are, you know, not sure are just confused. Uh, you know, it's, you know, Suzuki has said, if, if Buddhist practice isn't pushing you, it's not Buddhism. So there's that side of it. And I think that as you, uh, as practice unfolds for all of us, we see things, we actually know things that we need to attend to. They don't have to be huge leaps, but um, sometimes a leap is, is what's next. When I was ordained, I was part of what I sometimes describe as the Great Leap Forward at Zen Center. We were saving the West with Buddhism. I was ordained in a class of 26, real high production priest uh, era. I have a lot of affection for many of the people I was ordained with. There's a certain kind of family and some some of them have, you know, gone off to other very interesting things. Um, so there is a relationship, and I, I know some priests, for example, who were fiercely committed to social justice. I'm, well, I didn't feel that way, you know, when. And when there are strikes at universities and people practicing radical justice or whatever, that, did, that didn't represent my feeling at that time. I've been, um, as I think many, many people in San Francisco are thinking about a fair amount these days, I've been thinking about housing. I have some neighbors that I've had for over 20 years, a black family, well below the poverty line. Their building was purchased less than six months ago. They're in the process of being evicted. I'm very interested in that situation. I don't know if I can do much for them. My intention, as far as I can locate at this point, is see if I can help them get the information they need so they're completely aware of their rights in the circumstance the law of ownership and the momentum of the financial juggernaut that is San Francisco has stacked it pretty clearly against those who lack financial resources. That's something I can really appreciate. There's, a, there's an area. I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and I watched um, the amazing catastrophe slow-moving catastrophe that un, 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 that, how should I say, that opened up, that created massive suffering for everyone, uh, that continues. Uh, in our in our current society, so I do think practice is essential. Uh, I think many many people suffer 
the consequences of not being at all clear on who they are and however sincere their intentions um, complicate their own lives and who knows what else. So I don't think you can separate them completely and yet how to weigh them both. I think it should be an endless questioning on the part of anyone who uh, wants to make practice the center of their life. That's that. Yeah? No? What are some of the uh, concerns that you encounter in the unusual environment of prison practice? What, what do people bring you? You know, um, there's a maturity, at least in my experience. I, I'm, I freely admit I may romanticize, but I've certainly met some people there who would be beyond noteworthy, truly outstanding in any environment, and also very ordinary folks. Uh, they bring me their curiosity. They don't seem to bring me their problems. I don't meet one-to-one -one with them. They're very attentive. Um, and uh, I guess more than, you know, it's very unusual for them to refer to what I would describe as injustice or um, Complaint. You know, they they they, they seem to be um, aware that they have a part to play in why they're there, and they just they just seem motivated in a way that many people in my world are not. Because one, they have the time. Were they not incarcerated? It could be that they wouldn't end up in a meeting like that. But nevertheless, they're making, as far as I can see, good use of their time. And there's some pretty interesting things that are reported. Um, there's, what's it called? I think it might be called Ear Whistle. But at any rate, there's a, a, a public radio show, kind of like This American Life, has a couple of ep episodes about people telling their story. Um, and there's some extraordinary folks that have some interesting things to say. Um, I don't hear so much political perspective. More, you know, personal and actual, just you know, practice practice kinds of focus, which is, to me, again, kind of a surprise. Um, and also, you you. Now that I've been doing it, you know, a little while, I noticed that in some sense it's actually kind of ordinary. It's not so unusual. You know, for example, I don't get from these guys that they have a need to explain or be ashamed. You know, it's just a matter of fact. I'm incarcerated. Who knows for what? 
Uh, so that you know, that's also interesting to me. I, I do feel like they are um, maybe in some sense. Um, well, anyway, they're interested in each other. They're interested in their relationships with each other, and they seem to have a pretty supportive relationship to each other. So that's what occurs to me. Thank you.